Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I ask for your prayers this morning. Good morning, by the way. (laughs) Good to have you here. My name is Pastor Dale. I'm pitch heading for Pastor Brad while he's out um, securing our safety in Alaska. By, as he said last Sunday, he's out bear hunting with his boys. So let's pray for him that he'll enjoy that experience with his sons and that he'll be safe. I, uh, I asked for your prayers this morning because I, I'm not sure. I, I have words on paper here. And I have a sense that it, these words, this message is, is much deeper than I see it. And there's just something bubbling up in me right now that I know the Lord um, has something here for us all individually as an application to our own current circumstance. But also I think there's something here uh, in respect to um, where we're at in, in eternity. And, uh, and, and just pray that the Lord will direct us. It's in, the reading is found in the story in the Old Testament about King David's life, 1 Samuel chapter 20. And you can be turning there. It's uh, page uh, 243. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have uh, stacks of them on tables at the back. You're welcome to pick one up and, and use it. <coughs> if we wanted to show on a piece of paper what direction... A storm front is coming, or what direction uh, the wind is blowing, we would draw an arrow. Um, if we wanted to draw on a map a military area of engagement, we would use arrows. If you wanted to show a friend where you're going to go four wheeling or snow machining, you would often use an arrow. Arrows represent direction. They point towards a destination. Uh, They point the way to get somewhere. They're a symbol of a mission assignment. Now there's a story in the life of King David when he and his best friend Jonathan used an arrow to describe the way that God was leading in David's life. Which direction does God want David to go? And so that's the story we're going to read. It's a lengthy reading, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 18. I was going to kind of piecemeal it for the sake of time, but I thought you can't leave anything out here and we don't want any gaps in, in our understanding of the story. So it begins in verse 18 of 1 Samuel chapter 20. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty meaning David will be missed at Saul's house because David won't be there. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap or the stone ezel. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them. Then you are to come. 
For the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king, of course, was Saul. The king sat at his seat as at other times and on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite. Jonathan, remember, was Saul's son. And Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he's not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, whether you nor your kingdom, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him, so Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I believe I'm speaking this morning to people who know what it's life like for life to take us in a different direction from the life that we had scripted out or expected and planned for ourselves. And the question is, is how do we handle life 
when God's arrows fall beyond us, when we have to run and not relax, when we have to learn how to handle life's disappointments, when the Lord sends us away beyond our comfort zone, when we realize that God is not choosing for us an easy route, but God is choosing not to remove those difficulties. And we stand there by the stone Ezel, which means the stone of departure, the going away rock. And it's a stone of destiny for us because we are sent out of our comfort zone and into the mission and the plan of God for our life. And so the lesson today that I want to, by the Lord's help, secure into our hearts is that God sends us away often into a season of going into the wilderness so that we might learn faith and engage in his mission to establish his kingdom on earth. The first lesson that we can draw out of this story is that David didn't get to choose his own destiny. David stood there waiting and watching by the stone Azel. It was a stone of his destiny, and he's waiting there with his best friend, Jonathan, to find out whether King Saul was murdering, had rather harboring murderous intentions towards him. And if so, David would have to flee. He'd have to run. He'd have to live the life of a fugitive to enter into this life of exile, to be scattered abroad. If not, he would just be able to return back home to the comforts of home, to normal living, to his wife and his family. And David and Jonathan had agreed upon a signal. If it were safe for him, if Jonathan had learned that Saul's intentions towards David were good, then um, Jonathan would give him a signal for him to return and he would shoot arrows and he would cry to the boy, and the lad that was picking up the arrows and say, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Go and get them and come. An indication to David, come home. It's safe to come home. But he said, if Saul was still harboring malice against David, Jonathan would shoot the arrows beyond the lad and said, look, the arrows are beyond you. The arrows are beyond you, and in that case, David must run. He must flee. He must go into exile. So David stood motionless beside the stone Azel to wait for Jonathan's signal, Jonathan's instructions, and the hours must have passed slowly for David that day. It must have seemed like an eternity waiting there to know what direction he should go. What is next? Where is God leading in my life? He must have wondered, what is God up to? Samuel, you remember, had already anointed David to be king over Israel. That that was an unsought thing. That was an unplanned thing, an undreamed destiny that God had marked David out for. And David was quite content just to wait until the realization of that promise and that anointing came to pass in David's life. He was willing to wait until David's, I mean, until Saul's term as king was through, until Saul died. And David harbored no evil towards Saul, and he had no sense of entitlement to the throne. 
David didn't, however, get to choose his own destiny in the direction of his life, and neither do we. The second lesson from this story is that it takes faith to follow God. If God's path for David to the throne was going to be this way of upward mobility, of success after success after success, and good days after good days that led to better days of prosperity, then most certainly Jonathan's message would have been to David, the arrows are on this side of you. But what if that was not the message? What if Jonathan cried, the arrows are beyond you, David? Jonathan was making it very clear that this message would mean that hardship was in David's future. Jonathan had added to his warning seven disturbing words for David that David could probably not be able to pry out of his mind. These words were, for the Lord has sent you away. Who? This was not Jonathan's plan. This was not you know, man's idea, this was the intention of God, the destiny of God for David's life. And in other words, if the arrows were shot beyond the the lad, it would mean God's plan for David was to flee and to be pursued as a fugitive. So both David and Jonathan was in, were interpreting the signal of the arrow as an oracle of God. Interesting, isn't it? It would be a clear choice of divine providence. The ancient Hebrews, by the way, considered arrows as an instrument for discerning divine guidance. Arrows were considered a way of getting direction from the Lord. There's many examples of that in the Old Testament. One is Ezekiel 21, 21, where Nebuchadnezzar shook arrows to find um, God's divine way. 2 Kings 13, 18, the prophet Elijah told Jehoash to beat the ground with arrows and then interpreted the future for the king based on the action of those arrows. And here in 1 Samuel 20, 21, Jonathan's warning to David would be signaled by the action of the arrows. And Jonathan told David that if the arrows went beyond him, it would mean this is an oracle from God. He said it would mean, for the Lord has sent you away. Isn't that interesting? So David stood beside this stone, Ezel, his stone of destiny, the stone of departure, to watch for the arrows of God, God's providential guidance, God's divine direction. God was choosing David's destiny. The arrows would dictate whether he should stay, go home, or flee, go on a mission. A man of God is a person who is always open to God's will, obedient, willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. Are you in that place in your life where you're willing to be led by the Lord? If the arrows go beyond you, is that okay? Or does it only only have to go one way? Are you prepared today to hear 
the Lord say, the arrows are going beyond you. What an unsettling life, a life that God chooses, a life that's surrendered to the Lord. Who can predict what God's going to do? (laughs) I've learned that over life. You can never predict what God's going to do and where God's going to lead you. That's the testimony of my life. And God wants us to learn the life of faith. Before David could ascend to the throne, before he could be used of God as king, he needed to be sent out beyond and to live this life that God was calling him to. We need to learn to let go and let God have his way in our life. We need to let go of the control of our life, that it has to be this way, that this is the way I wrote the script for my life, but what if there's one day where all of a sudden the arrow goes beyond you and and something is written on that arrow that's unexpected that comes into your life and it's a new direction that you had never anticipated and God says, this is what I want for your life. Would you be willing to go that direction? It's interesting is that when we read the Psalms written by King David, that David records his heart, his testimony, the lessons that he's learned in his journey with the Lord. And, and in Psalm 139, 17, listen to these words of David. David said, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, before one of them ever came to be. And my favorite of all of David's words are, my times are in your hands. (laughs) That is true about every one of us that is seated here this morning. Our days, our times, the trajectory of our life is in God's hands. And the third lesson that we draw out of the story is that God's arrows take us beyond our comfort zone into the mission of God to establish his kingdom in this world. So David's hours of waiting had finally come to an end. He could hear the voices of Jonathan and the lad in the distance. It would not be long now until he had his answer. Hope was welling up within him. The message would surely be favorable. Surely King Saul is not as bad as I think. And he would just slip back there into Bethlehem and be seen and report back to Saul. Surely God didn't want him to go through hardship. Surely God didn't plan for him to live a life of suffering. Have you ever reached a place in your life where you said, what are you doing, God? How many of you, let's test them. How many of us, maybe not those exact words, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? I just sense that the Lord is whispering the words of the Savior who said, if you want to follow me, You have to learn to take up your cross. Take up your cross. A cross? 
a cross, the cruciform way of life, laying my life down, my script, my agenda, my plans, laying me down. I, you mean I'm not in control? What are you doing, Lord? <laughs> God's arrows take us into that realm, into the realm of God's reign, God's kingdom, God being in charge, what God wants to do. It's interesting that we read of our Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over that he said he only did what he saw the Father doing. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. So David could hear the whizzing of the arrows and then it came, those words, those terrible words. The arrows are beyond you. The arrows are beyond you. Could this be God's plan for his life? Why? Why? What are you doing, God? God had so signally blessed him with the victory over Goliath. Why can't you just keep rolling those victories and those wonderful exploits into my life, Lord? Why should a child of God face disappointment and hardship? Why didn't God not do the one thing that seemed to make so much sense? Why couldn't he spare David all this pain? And just, if God was already, had already said, this, told Saul that he was finished with Saul, that he's going to rip the throne away from Saul and give it to David, why didn't God just get on with it? Why would he allow something that made no sense like this, permitting Saul to continue to reign and David to go on and live like a fugitive? Why did God do that? We all know about this stone Ezel, don't we? And we're at that place right now in our life. And I want to say that the life of the Spirit is the people of God living and being led by the Spirit. We are to walk in the Spirit. We are to be led by the Spirit. And the life of the Spirit is a life beyond our comfort zone into the mission of God to establish His kingdom on, on earth. And I want to say something this morning, that our past experience... Remember, David had some great past experiences. He'd slain the lion. He'd killed Goliath. And our past experiences of God's blessings in our life can be our greatest hindrance to moving on in the mission of God, to accepting a new experience. We can create this form or this template, this pattern in our mind, this idea of, oh, this is how God works in my life, or this is what God has in mind for me. And we can close ourselves down to a new work of the Spirit in our life, to a new calling, to a new leading. But God is always calling. This is almost a principle of theology you could, you could take from Genesis to Revelation. It's how God scatters his people for the sake of the mission of his kingdom. In the New Testament, it's called the diaspora, the scattering, the sending of his people into exile to repopulate and take his gospel into areas where the gospel is not gone. This is an interesting principle that we're seeing played out right here in the life of David. Instead of sending David back to the throne, back into 
uh, Saul's house. What would happen there? Just imagine what would happen there. There'd be squabbling and quibbling. There'd be this argument. There'd be this, this um, struggle for power that was in Saul's heart. And, and maybe Saul, I mean, David could be um, uh, infected by that disease, that, that sense of covetousness for the throne. And what if David went back there and there's just constant wrangling and wrestling for the throne? And God had no business for David to be there. It, 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 don't waste your time going back there, David. I have a plan for you. I want to send you out. I want to scatter you into the pagan nations to conquer new territory for God. To bring my kingdom on earth. To establish my reign. And I believe this is the key to unlock the meaning of this story. I wrote these words down as we were driving in the car as Frankie was driving this morning. I'm writing these words down. This is good. I want you to hear this. The key to this story is the idea that central to the whole Bible is how God is coming to this world to establish his kingdom over this world and wrestle it from the domain and the rule of Satan, the evil one, who is the God of this world. And God is in the business from Genesis to Revelation to bringing his kingdom on planet earth. And the message is the kingdom of God. God is at war right now, to wrestle this world from the grip and the rule of the evil one. And David is being sent out on mission with God to subdue the kingdoms of darkness and extend the kingdoms of God all over the earth. So we read in the New Testament how Jesus, Matthew's gospel begins, Jesus is the son of David. Revelation ends with the picture that the reign of Jesus shall extend as far or further than the reign of David. And David is, is, introduces us in Scripture to the idea that the Messiah will come as a king. It introduces the kingly office of our Lord. And Jonathan's covenant says to David in 1 Samuel twenty sixteen, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. There is a warfare here. There is a kingdom agenda. Jesus began his ministry with the announcement, the kingdom of God has arrived. If I was to ask you what was the one thing, the one message, the one theme that Jesus preached more than any other message and theme in his ministry, what would it be? It was the kingdom of God. Over a hundred times he spoke about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God on this earth. And David is a prefiguring of that. And David was called, this was a stone of destiny he stood beside that day for he was being called into a kingdom agenda which was the visible manifestation of on earth of the comprehensive rule of God over every aspect of life. And that is God's agenda this morning here in Anchorage, Alaska. That is God's agenda for Cornerstone Church. And that's God's agenda for every individual that is seated here today. We are to pray every day that your kingdom would come on earth, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does God want? 
of my life and your life. He wants to send us out of our comfort zone into the mission of God, which is to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And so my life and your life is to be a visible manifestation of the comprehensive rule of God over every aspect of life. And so he scatters us, doesn't he? I can't go everywhere, and neither can you, but I can go somewhere. And so he sends some of us to this place and that place. Different places in the workplace. Schools. As I was sharing this with my wife driving in, she teared up and she says, I believe God has sent me into the public school system. God has sent some of us to Juno. Amen? (laughs) God sends us different places. And don't, underestimate the importance of your calling. But our calling will move us out of our comfort zone. And it may mean life of hardship and difficulty, self-sacrifice, laying our life down for the sake of God's mission, the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I get excited thinking about that because it... There's a a prophetic import, a prophetic message, a prophetic idea in that. This is an eschatological idea that God is coming to reign. And piece by piece, bit by bit, person by person, he dwells within his church to establish his reign on the world, and he fully intends to do that. Do you believe God's going to reign here someday? (laughs) That his son's coming back again to establish his kingdom on the earth as far as the kingdom of David spread. The next lesson I want to draw out is that God's arrows fall beyond us in order for us to learn the way of brokenness or the way of yieldedness or the way of the cross. David was destined to the throne, but he was not ready for the throne. Think about that. David was destined for the throne, but he wasn't ready for the throne. David could not come to know God in the blessing, but in the breaking. And David had to know what Paul said, God in the fellowship of his suffering. There's a lament in the heart of God over the darkness and the pain and the sin and the wickedness and the brokenness that is in our world. There's a lament in the heart of God over what he sees, what Satan's kingdom has done to this world. And we need to enter into that pain that's in the heart of God, to enter into alliance with the heart of God so that we will do as Jesus. I'll do nothing except what I see the Father doing. Well, what is the Father doing? He's coming to establish his kingdom on earth and wrestle it from the hands of the evil one. He has destroyed in Jesus Christ's first coming the power of the devil. He's disarmed him. And one day he's coming again to completely eliminate him from this world. What a day that will be. And So it's a hard lesson for us to learn that God is in charge of our life And this is a question we all have to ask. Who is in control of my life? And is my life on mission for God? 
A wasted life is a life lived doing things that God has not led us to do. Think about the contrast between Saul and David and why, precisely why God said, Saul, you can no longer be king. You're no longer a man fit for my kingdom. Remember why? Remember the story? Saul got ahead of the timing of God and took things in his own hands. Didn't listen to God. Didn't wait for God. Didn't care about. He he was more into himself and him controlling a situation than letting God lead. And so Saul cared more about his own kingdom his own reign, his own reputation, his own image, rather than God's. God says you're no longer fit to be a king. So God doesn't want David to fall snare to that same temptation, and so he sends him out on a mission. The lesson that Saul flunked, David must learn. You know, it's really interesting, this passage that we read begins, verse 1 of the chapter. We didn't start at the beginning of Second Samuel 20, but verse 1 says, Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah. Well, the story about what happened at Ramah and why David had to flee is in the previous chapter. And it's one of, one of the most, I just love the story that is told, and it's, a, it's an obscure story. It's not a story that I've ever heard anybody preach on, but it's, a, it's an amazing story. David had gone, to, um, gone there to find Samuel. He, had, he was running and hiding from Saul already. And, and Samuel was there uh, with, at Ramah with a school of prophets. Samuel was a prophet, remember. He was a man of God. David ran to spend time with Samuel, this prophet of God, to be there in the midst of the school of the prophets. Saul found out David was hiding there, so Saul began to send men there to bring David back. You remember what happened to every, I think it was like three or four groups of men he sent to Ramah to get David. You remember what happened to them? They all fell down to the ground, filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to prophesy. What is that about? By the way, there's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament coming. Holy Spirit existed in the Old Testament, not, the, not just the New Testament, but he came at certain times and places on certain people to anoint them for certain tasks that God wanted to be done. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit has come upon all of us. He's available for all of us. But here's an interesting story. And so what happens is that Saul gets so fed up that every... Every group of people that he sent to get David didn't bring him back and said they came back filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying. So Saul went himself. And Saul got there to Ramah, the school of the prophets, and all of a sudden, bam, Saul finds himself on the ground prophesying, and his clothes are ripped off of him. All right, now, you, you tell me, you interpret this, the lesson. What is, what is there? It is great. God was making it unmistakably clear to Saul who was in control. You think you're in control? You think you can run the kingdom? You think you're in charge of your own life? All of a sudden, evil was overcome by the goodness of God. We we just think, how can an evil man begin to prophesy the righteous, holy words of God? Well, it's, it's easy. Who's in charge? 
God can take over my life and your life anytime he wants to. Saul arrived with murder on his mind, but his mad rage was subjugated by the Spirit of God. And God was telling Saul, you think you're in charge? You have no idea who's in charge. And the stripping off of David's royal robes was a signal of the end of his career as a king. An Old Testament scholar, Walter Brugman, says this. He describes him as, quote, a once great, describing Saul, he was a once great man, still tall, but no longer great, clearly not in control, shamed, now rendered powerless in a posture of submissiveness. Saul's position as king would be a while before it would wind down, but the Spirit of God wants David to know that Saul is in fact finished. And then 1 Samuel begins with the, uh, 1 Samuel 20 begins with these words, to tell the story we're preaching about this morning. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan. So there's the backdrop of this story. It's all an issue of who's in control, whose kingdom matters, mine or God's. What is my life about? And the main lesson David is to know that life is not about him, but it's about establishing God's kingdom on earth. And we must learn to relinquish control to let God be God. It's 10.30. I have no concept of where we're at. Is that good? I'm right on time. Okay, so I, that means I got about 10 minutes, maybe. <clears throat> Let me just close this off. So it's off to the wilderness for David. You know that every man or woman with a call of God in their heart has to serve time in the wilderness? If you're going to do anything much for God that matters to much. You're going to have to spend time in the wilderness. That's a line that goes all through the Bible. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Naomi, David, Elijah. Elijah was sent to Zarephath, which means the crucible. Before, and he had said to spend time in Zarephath, learning to depend upon the great resources of God. And the widow who had only one meal left for her family fed Elijah the whole time he was in Zarephath. Elijah had to learn in the crucible to depend upon God to prepare him for the next event in his life, which was Mount Carmel. This is all through the Bible, folks. Jeremiah, Stephen, Paul, and Jesus what was the first thing that Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry? He was led by the Spirit where? Into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Was he victorious? Did he demonstrate the comprehensive rule of God over the forces of darkness in the wilderness? Yes, amen. And you and I are called on the mission of God into a wilderness into a place of darkness, into a place of sin, into the places that are broken, 
in order to establish them and establish the kingdom of God there, to bring righteousness there, to bring the presence of God there. And it's off to the wilderness for us, folks. So don't whine and complain if we're standing at the stone of Ezel at this time in our history in America and things look a little rough for us. Let's get excited. God has a mission for us. Will we be faithful? God has always matched his people for his day. He's looking for a man and a woman to stand in the gap. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. When I graduated from high school, my parents gave me a wristwatch. And on the back of the wristwatch, they engraved that scripture reference. If you're going to come after me, you need to be willing to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. The Holy Spirit is in the midst of his church, friends. The church is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We have amazing power and authority at our disposal. Jesus said, all authority is given unto me. Go you therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. There's only one way to the throne, only one way to see God's kingdom established on earth, and it's the way of the cross. Charles Dickens said, I've been bent and broken, but I hope into a better shape. Corey Ten Boone said, You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. The arrows of God may leave a scar on your heart, but the Savior has promised to come alongside of us and help us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we sense that you are here this morning and we just ask that you will do with this what you will in our hearts. Encourage our faith, faith to trust you. May we have the spirit of Jabez who said, Lord God, give me new territory. Give me new territory. Or like Caleb who said, Lord, I want to take that mountain for Jesus. Wherever you have called us and placed us, Lord, no place is small in your sight. We just claim that system, that principality, that power, that place for you to redeem the systems of evil in our world. Lord, may we realize that that is our mission. 
And we remember the words of Thomas Akempis who said, If you are willing to suffer no adversity, how will you be a friend of Christ? So we remember your suffering right now and enter into it the fellowship of your suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.